Yeah, let's pray again. Uh, Lord, just speak. We thank you for your word. We honor you. And uh, you're the best. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read. Uh, we're going to have quite a lot of scripture. Um, but that's okay. I love the Bible. And so I'll give, I'm going to give you the scripture first. Because I'm going to be back and forth. Uh, but we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 uh, through chapter 4, verse 16. I'm sorry, what's the chapter again? Uh, chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 16. Okay. And then we'll also be in Psalms 103. And that'll be verses 2 through 18. Psalms 103. So if you want to earmark it, um, and then I'm going to start, and I'll read it. You don't have to go there. But I'm going to start in Hebrews, and I'm going to kind of work my... I'm going to start, and then... Because I want to lay context. Um, how many of you know, we, we teach it all the time, the Bible, vaults do not end where chapters end. So you got to read the Bible in the context, first of all, of the entire Bible. But also, when you're reading books, you want to make sure you read through to the end of a thought. The chapters were put in there just for orderly, so you'd be able to locate it and find it. But the the chapter and verses, it doesn't necessarily mean what the author is saying ends. So a lot of times what we do when we read our Bible is we'll read like a chapter and stop at the end of that chapter, but the thought never ended until the next beginning of the chapter. And then you come back and you read the beginning of that chapter and you're like, wait, this doesn't, I don't understand. Why doesn't this make sense? And but if you would have read through the, till the end of the thought, you would have got a fuller picture of what, of what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. And so um, the book of Hebrews, we do not have a, uh, a title of an author. I personally, it's my opinion, and many scholars agree that I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews in, later in his life. Um, but again, that's debatable and, and not really... I, I think some people say it would be irrelevant as the Holy Spirit wrote it all, but I, I believe it's Paul speaking. Um, but he wrote in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 11, it says this, and this really will set the context of the entire teaching this morning. Let us therefore, and I'm, uh, I, will, I will preface this, I'm reading out of the Amplified today. Many of you guys know that I keep you guessing because I'll go in, in KJV to Amplify to ESV. I don't care. I love them all. I read them all. You know, unless you learn to read Greek and Hebrew, you know, and then read it in Greek and Hebrew, there'll always be stuff. So anyway, today is Amplified. He says this, Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God. Um, another one just uh, simplifies it. says, let us strive, therefore, to enter rest. Mm-hmm. To know and experience it for ourselves. I'm going to read that again. Let us, therefore, be zealous and exert ourselves, give, give effort, and strive diligently to enter that rest of God, to know it and experience it for ourselves. Knowledge of God, we know, is not just a head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. It's actually experiencing the truths of God for ourselves. You can know all about God. Uh, You can know all about the rest of God. You can know facts about God and never know God. We know this for a fact because the Pharisees and Sadducees had uh, the Torah and the prophets memorized, 
yet they miss the living word walking in front of them. You know, they didn't recognize that the word made flesh with the spirit resting upon him, bringing that word to life was in front of them and they totally missed it and crucified it. You know, so it's possible to, to have all these facts about God and not truly know him and know his nature, know his presence, know his person. And so we must strive, be zealous to enter the rest of God, to know it, to experience it. Uh, what does that mean to, to strive? And but, but I thought we're resting. So why are we striving to enter rest? You know, this is one of the biggest questions, really, theological questions in, in Christianity. Is it works or is it grace? You know, uh, is it, do I make an effort or do I just let God do it? And where's the balance in that? And in, in what ends up happening is we fall into a, one ditch or the other. We fall into one extreme or the other typically. Either it's grace and it's all God or it's works and it's all us. And we'll fall into, into two ditches. But usually with God, you know, Jesus is the fullness. It's both and. It's not usually either or. It's a, it's a coupling and a marrying of the two. And so I, we really want to define this morning what is this um, striving to enter and what is this rest. And so uh, I will put read, read the context of this statement that I believe, again, Paul makes um, by the leading of the Holy Spirit by starting in chapter 3. And so I'm just going to read it. I may expound a little bit, but it's quite a bit of scripture, but that's okay. Uh, so then, brethren, consecrated and set apart for God. I love this uh, because you know who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. How many of you know that when you read the Bible, when you study the Bible, and when you hear... Uh, preaching, it should be in the proper context. A lot of the New Testament is not written to the lost. And so we actually misinterpret Scripture by by misunderstanding who it's speaking to. And you cannot pluck promises and truths that are meant for the believer and apply them over to the sinner. And you cannot... And when I say sinner, I mean we were sinners, we became saints. I'm talking about those who are not been born again. Uh, that's that's what I'm talking about. And you can't, you do not take scriptures that apply to the wicked and to those who are not born again and apply them to saints. It, it doesn't work. And that's actually how you get a lot of your false doctrine is misunderstanding and misapplying scripture and not understanding who. That's where the hyper grace movement came from. Is it is a misapplied truce to the wrong people and it, it's wrong and then that's where legalism comes in is you misapply things that are meant for the wicked and you try to throw them on the saints and it's like we're not under the law but understand that everybody that's not been born again is still operating under god's judgments because they haven't entered in the new covenant but when you enter the new covenant it's totally different why because you're a different person you're actually a different creature a creature that never even existed until Jesus was raised from the dead. The first born among many. He became the first of a new creature. And then you get born again, and guess what? You're a new species of Christ's like ones. Never existed before Jesus. So it's different covenant, a new one. And this is really what the author of Hebrews is speaking to right now. I love Hebrews because to me it is the ultimate bridge uh, uh, of doctrine of merging of, of the bridge between the old covenant and the new covenant and understanding the two and how we're translating into the new covenant and that's again the context of what he's saying so then brethren consecrated and set apart for God that's us if you're born again 
um, who share in the heavenly calling. That's amazing. Thoughtfully and attentively consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest whom we confessed as ours when we embraced the Christian faith. See how faithful he was to him who appointed him, apostle and high priest, as Moses was also faithful in the whole house of God. Yet Jesus, who has been considered worthy of much greater honor and glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For, of course, every house is built and furnished by someone, but the builder of all things and the furnisher of the entire equipment of all things is God. And Moses certainly was faithful in the administration of all God's house, but it was only as a ministering servant. In his entire ministry, he was but a testimony to the things which were to be spoken the revelations to be given afterwards in Christ. But Christ, the Messiah, was faithful over his own father's house as a son and master of it. And it is we who are now members of this house if we hold fast and firm to the end of our joyful and exultant confidence and sense of triumph in our hope in Christ. We belong to the household of God if we hold fast and firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as happened in the rebellion of Israel and their provocation and embitterment of me in the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tried my patience and tested my forbearance and found I stood their test, and they saw my works for 40 years. I, I, I want to point out this very next scripture. Listen to this. And so I was provoked, displeased, and sorely grieved with that generation, and said, They always err and are led astray in their hearts, and they have not perceived or recognized my ways, and have become... Uh, and become progressively better and more experientially and intimately acquainted with them. So his issue with them is that they were led astray in their hearts. They did not perceive or recognize his ways and they became or and, and did not become progressively better and more experientially and intimately acquainted with them to know him by experience, to live them out. Accordingly, I swore in my wrath and indignation that they shall not enter into my rest. So what prevented them from entering the rest of God was, not, was failing to walk in his ways. Part of the rest of God, and I may be getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. We're following the Spirit. Part of the rest of God is resting in his ways. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. it's, it's in resting and trusting that his ways are right. It's, it's believing that God's ways of doing things are right. It's, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and then he directs your path according to his will. It's, it's just like um, a, well, attending service. You know, Hebrews also says, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves, as some do. Some people would say, well, 
Uh, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. Well, brother, you just read this morning uh, before service that I have access into the most holy of holies. So I can get into the holy of holies on my own with Jesus. Why do I need to, to go amongst the brethren? Why? Well, if you read that scripture in context, he goes on to say, uh, don't forsake the assembly together because when we gather, we enter in. And God divinely set it up that we need each other and we need the corporate setting. Because guess what? You don't carry the manifestation of Christ fully in yourself. I don't carry the full measure of the man in myself. But it's when we come together in the gifts and the callings and the anointings and the graces inside you manifest within the house. And then the graces inside of Jen manifest in the house. And Elaine and they manifest. And Andy and they manifest. Then guess what? We see the full measure of the man and we're able to grow up into it. And this is what Paul talks about in Ephesians. The full measure of the man. But it doesn't happen until you trust and do it God's way. It's just like uh, tithes and offerings. Some people, that blows their mind. Why do I need to do that? Because God says to do it. And you trust in just trust his way. Not in your own efforts or your own understanding or, or your own opinions and how you think that it should be done. When Paul says, wash your mind in the water of the word, why do I need to read the Bible? I have the indwelling spirit. The, the Bible says that the anointing in me teaches me all the things. Yes, he does. But God also says, through Paul, wash your minds in the water of the word. Read the Bible. Why do I need to? Because God says you do. Because we're sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, they, without looking at their shepherd, they lose their way. God, Jesus is the good shepherd and he calls us sheep. And if, like I said, go study sheep. They literally, even though they've been there every single day, they will literally forget where the watering hole is. Unless the shepherd leads them. We forget. That's why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. He actually says, and the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance all the things I've said to you. You don't, you're not just, I mean, guys, humble yourselves. We are just not that smart. We are not. Everybody wants to sit there and tell you, you're so awesome, you're so great. You know why? If there's anything awesome in me, it's because the king of glory dwells here. has nothing to do with me. I'm telling you, it's nothing. We're but dirt and dust, but man, he fills us with his glory. He makes us new and in his image. And when Christ's life manifests in our life, that is awesome. And everything good and grand is him. And when you understand that, he gives more because he gives grace to the humble. Yes. Man, yeah. I mean to get off track this morning. Come on, no, that's all right. That's that's good. Jesus. Good. Therefore, beware, brethren. Take care, lest there be anyone of you a wicked, unbelieving heart, which refuses to cleave to, trust in, and rely on him leading you to turn away and desert or stand aloft from the living God. So it is unbelieving to not live life the way that God says to live it. You are declaring, I don't have faith in God when you choose to do things uh, a way contrary than what he said to do. Them. An unbelieving heart necessarily isn't one that just believes that, that Jesus is not Messiah. The demons believe and tremble. You can believe Jesus is Messiah all you want, all day, and it does nothing for you. 
It's believing, A, that he's the only hope and the only way, and B, that his way is the right way. We define faith this way. It's believing that God is who he says he is, will do what he says he'll do, and his way is the only way. That's faith in God. Not just merely believing that he is the uh, Messiah. The devil believes Jesus is Messiah, and it ain't doing nothing for him. It's in his rebellion going away from the ways of God that caused him to fall from his place. It was saying, I don't want to do things God's way. I have a better idea. I would make a better God. That's pride in its ultimate form. Faith is saying, Jesus, I'm helpless without you. You have the words of life. It's, it's, it's when he looks at Peter and the apostles and he says, will you leave too? And they look at him and they say, where else can we go? You have the words of life. That is faith. Man, thank you, Jesus. Man, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Brethren, take care. At least there be any one of you a wicked, he calls it wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to cleave to Trust in and rely on Him. It is wickedness to rely on your own self-efforts. Man. But instead, warn, admonish, urge, and encourage one another every day. As long as it may be called today. That none of you may be hardened into settled rebellion. He calls it rebellion. By the deceitfulness of sin. By the fruitlets that I probably can't... that the. Stratagem, that's it. The trickery which the delusive glamour of his sin may play on him. Wow. You can become deluded and delusive by the glamour of sin. Yes. Which means sin has an appeal to it, yes. to your carnal nature. The Bible says the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. Did you know sometimes being led by the spirit simply means resisting the lust of the flesh? What? I thought being led by spirit was hearing his voice voice and obeying. It is. But if I understand that the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other, if my flesh is yelling, I know immediately to be led by the spirit is to run from that thing. To go, to keep the dead man dead. And to cling to the living God in his ways. So that tells me being led by spirit means when I feel the urge or pull or push by an outside force, demonic whatever, influence to do something contrary to the ways of God, I know being led by the Spirit is to turn from that and run back to the ways of God. You know, it's just like attending church. You feel like, I I don't need to go today. Lie from the devil. Matter of fact, in my experience, the most, most of the times that I have done that, I missed something God wanted to do. I've just seen people fall astray and it's just, you're like, why is it that way? Because God set it up that way. Why? I don't know. Because he's God and I just trust God. I don't, I don't know. Is it because you need me? No, but you need God's ways. You need God's ways. We all need Jesus. I need the Jesus in you. You need the Christ in me. It's the hope of glory. It's not me. It's him manifesting among us. Like we talked about a minute ago. It's just the way he sets it up. It's like people, I, I literally can't tell you how many people I've counseled that they just won't come to service and they're like, I don't know why my life's going astray. It's because you're not lining up with God's ways and God's speaking something corporately and you're wanting him to speak it individually, but you're out of his way. You're trying to get to the destination that God has for you, but you're not walking on his path. 
You want to walk in your path and expect to get to his destination. It doesn't work that way. Same thing in finances. You know, the, the humanistic mind says I need to save every dime I have. But God says, hey, Jen, sow this seed. And she says, I just trust his voice. Doesn't make sense. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. And boom, because God knows. You know, are you going to trust your judgment and your foresight and your perspective over the over the person who sees the beginning from the end? Like you have access to a living voice that sees the beginning from the end. You know what I'm saying? It's just like when you ask God for something and he doesn't give it to you and you're wondering why. Well, it's because he can see 15 years in the future and he knows that the 15 year in the future, you wouldn't want it. And so it's his mercy and goodness he doesn't give it to you now. And that's freeing. That's the rest of God. I can rely in his goodness, his steadfastness, his mercy, and I can say, God, I trust you. And that brings rest. There's no anxiety in that. There's no worry in that. Because I know if I just stay and focus one front of me and I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he adds all those things to me. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> For we have become fellows with Christ the Messiah and share in all he has for us. Yes. If only we hold our first newborn confidence and original assured expectation in virtue of which we are believers, firm and unshaken to the end. A newborn is dependent solely upon the parent. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not looking for anything else anywhere else. When that baby comes out, it's getting its milk, it's getting its comfort, it's getting its care. Can't even wipe its own rear. Like all of that. Yeah. And this is the example that God decides divinely to place right here. Come on, man. Then while it is still called today, if you would hear his voice, and when you hear it, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the desert. When the people provoked and irritated... And embittered God against them. Do you know you can provoke and irritate and embitter God against you? But that doesn't sound good, brother. Actually, it is. It is good. It is good because it means if He can be embittered and then oh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. If He can be embittered, it means He can He can have He can have pleasure and have favor and have faith and have enjoyment and He can actually be proud and He could be He could cheer you on, which He is. But He can also be embittered, and it's important. Yes. We'll talk about that nature in a minute. Anyway, for who were they who heard and yet were rebellious and provoked him? Was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Mm. And with whom was he irritated and provoked and grieved for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose dismembered bodies were strewn and left in the desert? Mm. And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest? But to those who disobeyed who had not listened to his word and who refused to be compliant or be persuaded. So we enter his rest by being compliant. So we see they were not able to enter into his rest because of their unwillingness to adhere to and trust in and rely on God. Unbelief had shut them out. Unbelief shut them out. Unbelief of what? His promises. Unbelief of His way being the right way. Of His way being the only way. That was what they didn't believe. They also didn't believe in His character and His nature. If you go back and read the story, 
And when they make the, the golden calf, they're like, oh, yeah, he took us out here to kill us. Nice. <laughs> like, dude, he just sent all these plagues and destroyed your enemies. And what is interesting, and I, I, this is a little end times eschatology snidbit that I'll throw in, I'll make a statement, and then I'm going to skirt away from it. <laughs> but but in e- Egypt proves that the wrath of God can be poured out on the earth without touching the people of God. That's right. Amen. All right? Put that in your theological yeah, typing spoke. Yeah, that's now, right. now, fast forward. He sent all the plagues, destroyed, the, touched the enemies, boils all that, never touched the children of God. Yes. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Noah also proved it. But anyway. So, um, so, yeah. So, he does all that, leads them out in the desert, and they're like, they're like sheep. And they literally go, yeah, he took us out here to kill us. Like, dude, he just wiped out your enemies and didn't touch you. And you think he led you out here to kill you? You don't believe he is who he says he is. Well, we're out here in the wilderness. And we're just getting manna. We want meat. We need need water. I wonder if God was trying to prove to them that he would sustain them fully. Yes. But yet they complained and wanted to drink water, so he hit the rock and brought the water forth and actually proclaimed what you're really looking for is me anyway because we right. see later on in the revealing of who Jesus is that he's the water that came out of the rock. Come on. And then he speaks to the woman at well saying, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Yes. Do you understand? They traveled through the wilderness. Their clothes never aged. It actually grew with them. It never wore out. God was trying to say something. Yeah. I'm all you need. Yeah. Rest in me. Do it, Jesus. Therefore, while the promises of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it. Least any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. For indeed, we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith, with the leaning of the entire personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Absolute trust, entire your entire personality. Leaning on God in absolute trust, confidence in his power or ability, his wisdom, the how-to of God, the way to do things, and his goodness, his character, and his nature. By those who heard it, neither were were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard and did believe. For we who have believed, adhered to, and trusted in, and relied on God. Do you remember that story? They, uh, Joshua and Caleb went into and spied the land and they come back and they know, no, we, we know our God. They remembered what happened in, in Egypt and they said, we know our God and we know he can take it, but nobody else believed. And they were the only ones allowed to enter over into the rest, into the promised land. For we who have believed, adhered to, and trusted in and relied on God do enter that rest by believing. And relied on God, do enter that rest, in accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter when he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And this he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. Meaning the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. 
And since the foundation of the world, he has been proclaiming what was done in the foundation of the world would manifest and that it manifested in Christ. Does that make sense? This is where, again, doctrine gets twisted. Because, again, God speaks from, sees from, and lives from the, seeing the beginning from the end. And so, though Christ was slain before the foundations of the world and he saw it and had decided that it would be so and that that was the only way there was still a process before that got manifested this is where kingdom now and dominionism comes from is they try to pull what will be once christ fully comes and say it's now and it is now in a sense but not fully this is why he is god who was is and is to come is there is an experience of this rest now, but understand there's a greater rest yet to come. When? In Revelations, when he says he'll wipe away every tear and there'll be no more sorrow and there are no more pain. But you can taste of that heavenly inheritance now. Paul says the Holy Spirit was your down payments of your inheritance in eternity. That by that, you can access his joy, his peace, and this rest here and now, but understand that there is a time coming with a greater rest. So it is both here and now. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. For in a certain place he had said this about the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day for all his works. And they forfeited their part in it, for in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Seeing then that the promise remains over from past times for some to enter that rest, and that those who formerly were given the good news about it and the opportunity failed to appropriate it and did not enter because of disobedience. We fail to access and partake of the rest of God now because of disobedience. But it's when we trust in, rely on, and have faith in who He is, that His way is the right way, that His nature is good, that's when we fail to interest now. So it's a good indication if you're walking through life and you're you're feeling unrest to take a stop, take a moment, stop, look back and say, where did I disobey? Where am I not believing? God is who he says he is. His way is not the his way is the right way. Where have I failed to walk on his path? And it's a good indicator. It's uh, a warning light, if you will. Again, he sets a definitive day, a definite day, a new today, and gives us another opportunity of securing that rest, saying through David, after so long a time in the world, words already quoted today, if you would hear his voice, and when you hear it, do not harden your hearts. This mention of a rest was not a reference to their entering into Canaan. For if Joshua had given them rest, he, God, would not speak afterward about another day. So then there is still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. For he who has once entered God's rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors. That's really important. Human labors. I want you to let that word human labors just embed in your heart. Just as God rested from those labors, peculiar. Uh, particularly his own. So, right after it says this, cease from human labors, it says, then let us be zealous and exert ourselves and strive di diligently to enter that rest of God to know and experience it for ourselves. So again, w w 
Wait a second. You said there is no human labors, but then I'm supposed to be zealous and exert myself. Is the Bible contradicting itself here? No, it's not. Because you're actually <laughs> you're actually being zealous in exerting yourself not to labor. It's the effort not to give forth human effort. You know, rest in the rest in the natural is is doing nothing. Mm-hmm. When I'm resting, I'm doing nothing. I need a day of rest. I need to sit down. I need to rest for a minute. Everybody says that. I need to rest for a minute. I need to sit down. You're doing nothing. What we're striving for is to kill human effort. We're to be zealous. And exert ourselves and strive diligently to kill all human effort. It is not human effort to walk in the ways of God because you don't have the ability to walk in the ways of God except the God give you the grace to do it. So when you walk in the in the ways of God, you're having faith that God's way is the right way and God is releasing divinely grace to walk it out. You could not live sinless. Okay, you were damned to break the law of God, the commands of God. But Jesus Christ came and died and shed his blood and sent the Holy Spirit. And then you became born again with a new nature. That nature has a tendency to actually live righteous. And as you yield to what God did, and you humble yourself and realize human effort, as Jesus said, human effort availeth nothing but the Spirit gives life. And you have faith and trust in the work of the Spirit. And then it's by faith you begin to walk out God's ways. That grace that God gives to the humble is imparted to you and gives you an ability to walk it out. And therefore you're living in rest. Does that make sense? Thank you, Jesus. That no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. Obeying God is resting in God. For the word, I'm going to 16, yep. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power. The word that God speaks is alive and full of power of power, making it active, operated, energizing it, and effective. Meaning when you obey the word of God, the power to walk it out and the power to see it fulfilled is in the word. The spirit bringing life to the word. That's why the Bible says the letter alone kills, but the spirit brings life. You trying to obey the word of God, void the spirit, brings death. The Pharisees and Sadducees proved it. But you obeying the word of God by the spirit brings life. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So how do we know we're obeying the word by the spirit? You'll manifest the life of Christ. His character, his nature, his power, his authority, miracles, signs, wonders. But man, patience, kindness, goodness, Mm -hmm, mm self-control. I'm going to hurry. What time is it? (laughs) 
Oh, we're good. Thank you, Jesus. Making it effective, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow, of the deepest parts of our nature. Exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. The word comes and divides what is of God and not of God. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed, naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The one we deal with sees everything. Nothing's hidden. Inasmuch then as we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and and have a shared feeling with our weakness and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are yet without sinning. That means that you can't tell God you don't understand. No, you don't understand. God actually understands. We don't understand. And when we understand that, man, that births humility. Anyway, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners and divine power, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, and well-timed help coming just when we need it. That's the promise of God. We're going to be in Psalms uh, 103, and then this will be the last portion of Scripture there. Are we good? Mm-hmm. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 2. This is David. Bless affectionately and gratefully praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not one of his benefits. He's telling his mind, will, and emotions to praise the praise the Lord and not to forget the benefits of God. Then he says this Who forgives every one of all of your iniquities? So let me tell you something. There is not a single thing you can do to earn forgiveness given by God. It's only by the shed blood of Jesus. You actually know how to walk in the rest of God if you know how to receive forgiveness for your sins. What do you mean? Receiving forgiveness of your sins has absolutely nothing to do with human effort. It's only by the Spirit. Do you know you can't even know that Jesus is your Savior set by the revealing of the Spirit? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven gave you. This is why we need the Spirit. It's Paul's constantly. Give us the Spirit of wisdom, understanding how God operates, and revelation, understanding and revealing who God is in the knowledge of you. Because we're dependent upon the Spirit. He forgives all your sins. He heals each one of your diseases. He does it. Who redeems your life from the pit and corruption. He does it. Who beautifies, dignifies, and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. 
He does it. You cannot make yourself more kind. You cannot make yourself become a more beautiful person. You cannot dignify yourself. It is only Him and His work. Who satisfies your mouth, your necessity and desire at your personal age and situation with good. You cannot satisfy yourself. Trust me, I've tried. I've gone to Handel's ice cream, uh, Handel's and bought some ice cream, and I tried to satisfy the craving. I've gone and got some good Italian food, and I've tried to like satisfy my craving. I went and got a steak and some beef, and I tried to satisfy, but it doesn't satisfy. I've tried video games. I've tried drugs. I've tried alcohol. I've tried movies. I cannot bring satisfaction to myself. He satisfies. He is what we're longing for. He is the answer every single time. It is not in anything that can be accomplished by my efforts but by Christ alone he satisfies and then in that satisfaction our youth is renewed like the eagles strong and overcoming and soaring the Lord executes righteous and justice not for me only but for all who oppress guess what there's a rest in that I do not have to bring justice for myself. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There's a resting in knowing that if somebody wrongs me, I don't have to right that wrong, but I can trust in the Lord and rest in that He is the righteous judge and that He will do it. That's free. That's so free. I can, that actually allows me to even love the person who's persecuting me. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe that Stephen was able to be stoned to death, look up into heaven and cry out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because he had such a revelation of the mercy of God and he trusted in the wrath of God. He knew that God would bring about it. He knew that vengeance was the Lord's and that literally it was so taken out of his hands that he's actually pleading mercy for them while they're stoning him to death. He made known his ways of righteousness and justice to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Again, God reveals his ways to us. We do not search and dig and find and obtain. My human effort avails nothing. What I do and what I've learned to do by the Spirit is I've learned to be faithful in doing what He said to do and walking on the road He said to walking it. And it's in walking that out that I find the Lord. Seek me and uh, and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. But I must seek Him in the way He says to seek Him. So I know that I read my word every day. I know that I sit with the Lord every day. I know that I wait patiently upon the Lord. I know that I lift my hands in praise. And as I go about trusting and doing the things He said to do and doing the things that I know He delights in, I find the Lord there in it. He literally has given us a road map to encountering Him. And it's by walking the road he's laid out for us. That's faith. That's believing. I believe that if I read my word, I'll encounter God. Why? Because he said I would. Mm-hmm. I believe I will encounter the Lord if I worship. Why? Because he said I would. Mm-hmm. I believe 
that when I wait upon the Lord, my strength will be renewed. I will lift up and soar on wings like eagles. Why? Because he said I would. It's nothing to do with me waiting. It's not the waiting that does it. It's because God said it would that does it. The word has the power to fulfill it. When you obey it by the leading of the spirit, man, life comes. It's not your human efforts of waiting. It's his power in it. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, and I love this next verse. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy and loving kindness. He will not always chide or be contending. Neither will he keep his anger forever or hold a grudge. The Lord does get upset. But it is his tendency to be merciful. He is actually slow to anger. Meaning this, it takes a whole, long, a, a, a whole lot to get him that way. But then even when he does, he says this, I'll not keep my anger forever. And God does not hold a grudge. I'm speaking by the Spirit now. Uh, there are some of you in the room that that think God is keeping a record of what you did years ago. And that he's holding things back from you because of something you did and maybe you, quote unquote, haven't paid the penance or it hasn't been long enough or you don't do things that, that, that you think you need to do in order to win uh, God not being begrudging towards you. He does not hold a... Love keeps no record of wrong. Listen to this. He has not dealt with us after our own sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. The reward of the Lord isn't about what you didn't do. It's about what he did do, and the reward is in his ways. Success is set up in following him. The reward is in having faith that he rewards you because you obey. But again, it has nothing to do with you. It's him. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great are his mercy and loving kindness towards those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. Again, he's like, yeah, I'm this way according to you doing it the way I said to do it. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Uh, I, I'm going to stop right here and share a personal story and then pray. Uh, there, I followed the Lord for years as a young child. Um, grew up like a Samuel in the household of the Lord. If you walked within into the church that I grew up in, you would literally see a, a big portrait of the senior pastor who played in the church and me sitting in his lap and him reading the Bible to me. That's the first thing you saw when you walked in the church. My family helped play at the church. They were very integrated in it. Uh, my mom, my dad worked full time. My mom volunteered. So I was at the church for 
for years, every day at the house of the Lord. I was in my word a lot as a child. I can remember sitting in service, not being able to comprehend what the preaching was going on or follow it because I was young, but I would sit there and just read the Bible and read the Bible. I can remember conversations I had with the Lord in my room and encounters I had as a child with him, dreams, I would see things before they would happen, all of that. But when I reached age 11, my parents got divorced and I began to smoke weed and I backslid and did drugs and everything that came in that lifestyle, got in trouble, all of that. And then when I got older, I came back to the Lord, had an encounter with him, got filled with the spirit and, and all this stuff. And so in my journey walking with the, the Lord, I was literally believing that God was holding a grudge from, with uh, against me because I fell away from him. And I'm like, Lord, I what about all that time I had with you with a kid? Did I lose all that time? Because I'm like thinking about, you know, my age in the Lord and how, how long I've been with the Lord, how mature, like am I, how long, how much time have we been together? How, how long do I know you? And I'm thinking about, does it start like, when I when I came back from backsliding, is that how it works? Like, did it, does it start? Is that is that how long I've been in the Lord that many years? And the Lord literally started rebuking me and loving me through that. And He said, "Listen, when I forgive your sins, I remove them from the far as far as from the east as from the west. So what I did, what I see when I look at you, the timeline of your life, I remove the time you were separate from me, and I connect the times that we were together, and that's the." The only life that I see is your life lived in me. As long as you remain in me, that's all I see. All your shortcomings, when you repented from every sin you did, he wiped it from your ledger. It's like it never even existed. Some of you have continued to bring things up to the Lord and he ain't speaking to you about them because he don't even know what you're talking about. Because divinely he removed it from his memory. He has no record of it. And you're like, God, but what about when I did this? And what about that? What about the way I treated that person? Well, did you ask him for forgiveness? Well, yes. Well, if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Who forgives all your iniquities. As For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy and loving kindness towards those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us they don't even exist and that it actually takes faith to even believe that we don't even have like our human mind cannot comprehend that why because I because because if we're not careful we can remember what so-and-so said to us last week but God is not that way his ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts they're high above ours we're actually going to touch on this on Wednesday when we talk about this Wednesday. I'm excited. It's on the gift of mercy. It's a divine ability to access the mercy of the Lord. You can step into this thing by grace. Anyway, here we go. As a father loves and pities his children, so the Lord loves and pities those who fear him with reverence and worship and awe. For he knows our frame. He earnestly remembers and imprints on his heart that we are dust. God knows. We, we don't sometimes. We get awfully puffed up and think awfully high of ourselves. 
you know, here's the balance of the gospel as far as identity goes. We must understand that outside of, of Christ, we are a dirt bag. <laughs> We're literally a bag of dust. God made us out of dirt. That's what you're made of, dirt. You walk on it, it's gross. There's bacteria in it. Mm-hmm. It gets people sick, you know. There's, it's, there's like flesh-eating bacteria in it now. It's gotten worse over the years. Go figure. Dirt. Man. But in Christ, he fills that with himself and then says this. You are therefore now seated with Christ in heavenly places. That you have an inheritance in Christ. And it has nothing to do with you but what Christ did. And there's a balance of understanding your value. That though we are like dust, he saw us and loved us and came and died and filled us with his spirit anyway. And said, you know what? Here's a seat for you at the Father's table. I not only save you, but I adopt you as my own. That is the mercy and grace of God. That is the balance between humility and royalty. As for man, his days are grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place shall know it no more. But the mercy and loving kindness of the Lord are from everlasting to everlasting. Though our life is, man, his mercy is forever and ever. Upon those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. And his righteousness is to children's children. To such as keep his covenant. Hearing, receiving, and loving and obeying it. And to those who earnestly remember his commandments to do them. Imprinting them on their hearts. David is still speaking under the old covenant. In Hebrews, it says that the Lord has written his commands on your heart and in your mind, that he came and did what we could not do. It is finished. Let's just posture our hearts towards the Lord. God, we thank you for your mercy. God, would you help us because we can't do it on our own. We actually can't stop striving without you giving us the ability to stop striving, Lord. You're the answer to every question. It's in you. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. It is in you. Give us grace to rely on your grace. Give us wisdom to walk in your ways that will empower us to walk in your ways. Give us revelation because when we see you, we're made like you. God, your destiny and calling for each and every one of us is to manifest your son in the earth. But it's by the spirit, not by might, not by strength. It's in your hand. You are the builder of the house. 
Christ, you build your church. So right now, we yield. I pray for myself. I pray for this house and every person listening. The grace to enter rest. That we would earnestly, diligently strive to walk in your ways that lead to rest. I break the orphan spirit. I snap in half that measuring stick comparison. There's only one measurement and he's a man named Jesus. And I pray for a supernatural revealing of him each and every day. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Be merciful because he's merciful. Be holy because he's holy. Be kind because he's kind. Gentle because he's gentle. Lord, I pray every soul wound be healed. Heal sickness in bodies now. Because you heal. It's who you are. Deliver and strengthen, Lord. We yield to you. May you receive the glory and the honor from even our yielding, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.